we'll be looking at three more parables that Jesus gives about the kingdom of God. Again, we'll be looking at the book of Mark. This is the first time you're using a Bible. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the little numbers are the verse numbers. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 21 to 34. Verse 21 to 34. Mark chapter 4, 21 to 34, it says this. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, that when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller Then all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Let's pray. Lord, as your word illuminates in the darkness, we know that in our own sinfulness we'll be blind to your glory. Our minds will be distracted, closed, from understanding what you have to say. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would help us to understand the parables, to understand the kingdom of God, and to treasure the work of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we looked at how Jesus uses parables to describe the kingdom of God. And Jesus explains to his disciples that the reason why he speaks in code, the reason why he, he uses parables and images so that some are able to understand and others aren't. Immediately after giving this explanation to the disciples, he then gives three more images, three more vignettes to kind of describe what the kingdom of God is like. So rather than giving us kind of a bulleted list of truth, Jesus prefers to give us pictures, different images that we could keep in our head so we could uh, imagine them in our heads to understand the principles, and to then learn more about what God is intending to do in the ministry and work of Jesus and in our own lives. So this is going to be the main idea for us this morning, that the kingdom of God shines, is slow, and is safe. That the kingdom of God shines, is slow, and is safe. And the Lord wants us to do three things this morning, and we'll use these as our points uh, for this sermon. That the Lord wants us to, number one, shine the lamp's light, to shine the lamp's light. Number two, 
to trust the harvest's growth. To trust the harvest's growth. And third, to rest in the seed's promise. To rest in the seed's promise. Let's look at point number one there, to shine the lamp's light. Let's look at verse 21 again. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Jesus himself has has talked a number of times about what the kingdom of God is. In fact, in, in chapter 1 of the book of Mark, Jesus clearly states the main idea of the whole book, that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, and we are to repent and believe the good news. And now what Jesus does is he takes that message of the kingdom of God, the good news that Jesus comes to bring, and he likens it to a lamp. It shines light to those around. And that news of the kingdom of God isn't meant to be hidden or to put under a basket or under a bed or concealed in any way, but to be put on a lampstand. To, in order to illuminate what's around it. That even though right now, in the, in the ministry and the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God looks small and insignificant, that in time it would explode and radiate and shine into the darkness. And when that light shines, there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. That God's light will shine And when it shines into the darkness, we'll be able to see things for what they truly are. I don't know if you've heard this old Buddhist parable about blind men uh, trying to describe an elephant. They gather around the elephant. They they touch different parts of the elephant. One, One blind man touches the trunk of the elephant and says, man, an elephant is like a rope. Another man touches the the leg of an elephant and says, man, an elephant is like a tree trunk or a pillar. Another one touches the tusk and says that an elephant is like a spear and and so on. It's a really popular story for a reason. This point is that everyone has a subjective view of life, that that everyone kind of has a different piece of the puzzle. Rather than judging one another or or saying that you're wrong for thinking this way or that way, that, that we should all take time to recognize that we have our own subjective experience and that we shouldn't presume that someone else is wrong just because their experience is different than ours. Everyone has a different piece of the elephant, a different piece of the puzzle. None of us can see the whole picture. It's a really clever story. And for what it's worth, I think there is an element of truth in it. We should all take the time to recognize that we have our own unique experiences other people have different walks in their own life, right? And sometimes we do only see a piece of the puzzle. And we should take the time to listen to others. But the problem with this parable or this story about this blind elephant isn't necessarily the story itself, but the storyteller. You see, in order to say that blind men are gathering around this elephant or describing different parts of it, there needs to be at least one guy who can actually see the whole elephant, who can tell you exactly what's going on, to to tell you that people are only seeing parts of the puzzle. At first, it might seem humble 
that say that all of us have our own perspective, that we should just listen to other people. But that assumes that you know the whole thing. The Buddha, in saying that everyone is right in their own little way, is actually saying that he's the only one who can see everything absolutely correctly. Right? And when you say that everyone else is equally right, you're also saying that everyone else is equally wrong. It actually makes truth not matter. Everyone could be right. Everyone could be wrong. At the end of the day, it's just someone's opinion. The problem is, no one lives their life like that. If I go to the doctor, I'm going to trust that he's going to be able to give me accurate truths about what's going on in my body. If I do go to another doctor and get second opinion, I'm not going to look at what both those doctors say if the second one disagrees with the first one. I'm not going to look at both of them and say, you know what, both of you are right. You see a different piece of the same puzzle. We all see different parts of the elephant. No, either one of them or both of them are wrong. And our health is too important to leave it to just a matter of perspective. We look for truth with things that matter. It's the same way with our souls. When we teach the Bible, we actually believe that everything in this book is completely true, without any mixture of error, that the words in this book are actually coming from the living God. And when the word of God is being proclaimed, when it's being taught, we are reminding ourselves and teaching the world that what we believe that this Bible teaches is absolutely true, that our souls are too important to leave to our own perspective. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, when we talk about the word of God like a lamp, that's on a lampstand. We believe that this book is not just another blind man trying to tell us another part of what the world is like. We believe that these are the words of the living God, the one who created the world. And when the word of God speaks to us, when the Lord tells us the way it is, that's not just a sharing of perspective, it's a declaration of truth. It shines light on what actually is and exposes everything in us. Verse 22 says that there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. That the Bible exposes us for who we truly are. When we talk about the state of our souls, we believe that there is an objective problem for everyone. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all of us are infected with the terminal diagnosis of our sin. And all of us will have to address it, whether in this life or the next. And that is not my opinion. That is a statement of fact, of truth. It's either right or it's wrong. I wonder if you believe this. Christians have confessed for centuries that we believe that God will come to judge the living and the dead. Are you ready for when he comes back? If you're not a Christian, this is the good news that, that not only are you sinful, but that Jesus is a great Savior. You could turn from your sin 
and trust in this Jesus and find all the forgiveness that you need, that you can listen to this message of the kingdom of God, this, this lamp on a lampstand, and turn and believe the good news. There's also a good warning for us who, who profess to follow Jesus here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hiding in your own sin. There's not a single thing that the Lord does not see. We might try to hide in the shadows of our own sin, put on a nice collared shirt, show up to Sunday and smile, shake hands, while living like an absolute sinner in the shadows. You can't run away and hide from the Lord. He sees everything. I mean, I think about the ridiculousness of of Adam and Eve in the garden after they sin. What do they do? They flee to try to hide from the God of the universe. But God sees everything. He will bring it to light. That's you. If you're here this morning and, and you know exactly what you're hiding from the Lord, if you're hearing this word and there are specific things that are coming to your mind, the solution isn't for you to sit in the pew and to just resolve to do better next time or, or to promise that you'll stop doing wrong. The solution is to stop trying to hide, but to come to the light. Jesus is open and willing to save. He, he can and he will save you. You could talk to me. You could talk to Pastor Steve. You could talk to any of the members here about your own sin. Don't let it fester in darkness. You see, Satan is going to try to convince you that your sin is able to be domesticated. That's not a big deal. That's something that you could hide. It's something that you could keep to yourself and not bother anyone else with. The truth is that if you confess your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The only way that Christian remains in darkness is by continuing to hide. The way that you find true healing is by going to him. Jesus has brought the light of this message of the kingdom of God through his word. And when he brings it to light, he helps us understand what is true. And not only do we recognize what the Lord does, we also then get called to steward that responsibility that he gives us. You can see that in verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. We will be used by the measure that we use. The image there is kind of like a balanced scale. That, that when you're purchasing things back in the day, they would have a scale with certain weights that are measured, and you would weigh out kind of how much rice or, or how many goods to give someone else. And, and the point that, that Jesus is making is that when you put something on the scale, that's the exact same measure, the exact same weight is going to be used to you. That the, that the weight that we give the gospel message determines how you will be affected. That, that you can't just hear the word, you can't just hear the truth of the gospel and then walk away and ignore it. We have a responsibility to truly listen, to, to pay attention to the words that we hear, and to apply it to our hearts. You see, obedience and disobedience compound. They add on top of each other. And we have a responsibility to listen and to be changed by what we hear. 
And when we do, the Lord pours out even more blessings onto us. That, that when we respond to the gospel, when we repent of our sin, when we trust in Jesus, when we follow him in obedience, the Lord promises that he's going to pour out even more blessings on us to help us grow, to help us follow him. But when you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news of Jesus, and you continue to harden your own heart, when you reject it, when you're hard-hearted against it, it says here, not only do you not have, but even what you do have will ultimately be taken away from you. That when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no neutral ground. Jesus is, not, is saying that it is not possible for you to be an outside, neutral observer. There is no Switzerland in the kingdom of God. If you've heard this good news, you have a responsibility to respond and to follow the Lord. You have a responsibility to respond. And that's what we need to do. When you hear the gospel message, you need to respond. I'm not saying that it's not worth taking the time to consider. But following Jesus is always going to be costly. There is a weight. There is a measure that's being used. It is always urgent. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to us. But it is absolutely worth it. Come to the light. You can follow Jesus. And that's the responsibility that we have as Christians. When it comes to the message of the kingdom of God that we have received, when it comes to the gospel that we've received, our job is not to take that word and then put it under a basket or to live it amongst ourselves. You might, you might hear people say, um, share the gospel, use words when necessary. That's the same thing as saying, feed the hungry, use food when necessary. You need words. You need the message of the kingdom of God. And if you believe it, you have a responsibility not to hide it, but to expose it. To shine light into the darkness. Uh, Corinthians says that the, we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against arguments. Taking every th thought captive to the word of Christ. That's the responsibility that we have. Not only are we supposed to shine the lamp, number two, we are to trust in the harvest growth. In the harvest growth. Uh, Jesus gives a second image here, bringing back, the image of the seed in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. Man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus gives a Another parable of the sower, except in this case, he's not talking about the soil, the type of ground that the seeds game planted in. Rather, he's talking about the plant. And he makes two observations. Number one, the man has no control over the seed's growth. He doesn't know how the seed grows. You just put it in the dirt, you cover it with more dirt, you put water on that dirt, and you hope something happens. Right? It's out of your control. You can sow seeds, you can tend the plant, you can pull out weeds, you can try to care for it, but one thing that you can't do is you can't force the seed to grow. You can't microwave the process. Instead, what you have to do is wait. In other words, farming 
is an act of faith, an act of trust. Do you believe that the word of God is capable of doing the work? Do you believe that the Lord can do impossible things in the lives of unbelievers? Martin Luther wrote this concerning the rapid spread of the, of the true gospel during the Reformation and, and kind of the revival that occurred. He said, he said this, he said, Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences in all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy. And no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row? He sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fools are up to now. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses him, for it is almighty and takes captive the hearts. And when the hearts are captured, the work of the word will fall of itself. He says that he did nothing. The word did the work. He slept. The word worked. He hung out with his friends. The word did the work. I did nothing. Can you say that about your own life? Can you say that about the ministry of this church? I don't think Martin Luther is suggesting that we all kick back and do nothing, that we recline on our, on our Sunday lazy boy and proceed not to do any ministry. What he means is guarding ourselves from when we get overwhelmed by the temptations of this world. When things get hard, when you see the great need around you and you feel overwhelmed by the task, Sometimes the temptation is to microwave ministry to produce rapid results, to cause quick change, to, to manufacture miracles. I remember reading an evangelism workbook where the man instructed the person to, to walk through their need for Jesus and to put their arm around him and begin the sinner's prayer so that the other person would be pressured to repeat the words after him. That's not real change. As trying to socially pressure someone into the kingdom of God. That doesn't work. When you do that, you actually distract from the Lord's real work. Our job isn't to force a seed to grow. Our job is to be faithful. One of the hardest commands in scripture isn't the word do, but the word trust. To truly believe that the Lord is at work around our lives. To look around and to trust that if we continue to do things God's way and not our way, that he's the one that will accomplish the work around us. That the Lord will bring the growth. That's what the Lord calls us to do. To sow seeds. To trust that the Lord will grow it in his timing, in his way. And what does that way look like? You can see it in verse 28 there. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. The soil produces a crop. First by a blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. Now, when Jesus speaks in parables like this, 
images like this, we can sometimes get too metaphorical and overanalyze everything. So you'll hear people say like, oh, you know, the blade is curiosity. And then the head is real faith. And then the full grain is the, is the works that we produce when we come to faith. I think that might be true, but I don't think that's Jesus' point. Otherwise, there would have been some kind of explanation. The point that Jesus is trying to make here when he talks about the progress of this plant is that the crop grows. That it actually takes time and it progresses over time. That's a process. It's not instant perfection. The seed needs time in order to grow, to sprout, to grow, and then to, to bear fruit. Sometimes we hear about radical conversion stories where people kind of turn from radical evil that they've done in their life, they trust in Jesus, and their life is completely transformed. And I praise God for those stories. But most of our lives are not kind of indicated or defined by instant growth and change. Oftentimes you go home, and your spouse says something, and then you snap. Or you go to work, and things frustrate you. Or we sin. We're impatient with our loved ones. Sanctification is not instant. The Lord is continuing to grow us gradually. And when the crop is ready, that's when the Lord sends his sickle for the harvest. The Lord doesn't collect premature plants. His timing is perfect. He's at work in you. And if you're in Christ and you're still here on the earth, Jesus is not done with you. He's going to continue to tend to you to care for you, to grow you. And he will take you when the time is right for him. In the meantime, he still has work in us to grow us, to to care for us. And the kingdom of God is going to happen in his time, not ours. The last point for us this morning is to rest in the seed's promise. Number three, to rest in the seed's promise. You can see that in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in his shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. These parables aren't exact pictures of what the kingdom of God is like. They're they're images or symbols to show us different glimpses of what the kingdom of God looks like. And the last parable that Jesus gives is one of a mustard seed that starts small and then grows taller than all the other plants and produces large branches that birds can rest in. Uh, Pastor Steve left a pack of mustard seeds in the drawer in my study. Uh, They're still there. I didn't bring them because I don't use props when I preach. But uh, I looked at them, they're yellow, and they're super small. They're really tiny. But when they're grown, they, they can grow up to up to 10 feet tall. Right? Think about the trees in our parking lot that are currently like breaking off the asphalt. Right? And trees are able to, or birds are able to come and nest in its shade. See, Jesus' ministry at this point might have seemed small in comparison to the rest of the world compared to the Roman Empire, to Egypt, compared to great dynasties that we look at and think about, even compared to Israel during the golden era of David's reign. But the kingdom of 
God that Jesus establishes is going to grow to be extremely large, that they would be able to provide true protection. In fact, this image of this tree uh, is not a new idea. In fact, the, the idea of birds perching in it and creating nests isn't just some kind of fancy image that Jesus is using. He's actually deliberately referencing another time when the Lord talked about how he would grow a large tree to provide protection. So Ezekiel 17, God pronounces judgment on Babylon and Egypt, how their trees will be uprooted, and how God would topple their kingdoms and execute judgment on the wicked. And and this is what he says in Ezekiel 17, verses 22 to 23. Let me read it for you. This is what the Lord God says. I'll take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and plant it. I'll pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots, and I'll plant it on a high, towering mountain. I will plant it on God's high mountain so that, it may, so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. God promises a day where kingdoms would fall, where he would tear out the roots of the Roman Empire or of Babylon or of Egypt or, or any other opposition to his own kingdom. And he would establish his own tree. And, and, and this tree would grow to be so large that birds can come and rest under it. That the kingdom of God that he would come to establish would be an everlasting tree. Except the kingdom that Jesus came to establish wouldn't be like the other kingdoms. It wouldn't be like Rome or like Babylon. Jesus didn't come to establish another earthly nation. He came to establish a kingdom not of this world. That God became a man and dwelt among us. That he humbled himself from the highest throne and became a seed, a feeble man. And though he lived a perfect life, we in our wickedness responded by killing him on a cross. The skies were darkened. The lamp was extinguished. The seed was buried. But on the third day, on Sunday morning, light broke into darkness. Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, and now he sits on his throne in heaven, establishing his eternal, everlasting rule, waiting to come and collect his harvest. Jesus is that seed that he's talking about. And when a seed is buried into the dirt, it dies. And then it rises again. And that tree provides everlasting salvation for us today. There is no safer place for you to go than in the arms of Jesus. Friends, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Sometimes it, it feels like the Lord isn't at work, as though nothing's happening, that tomorrow brings the same troubles again and again and again. Like we're here to fend for ourselves, tossed by the storms of this life, unsure where the wind will blow. Friends, remember the gospel. Remember what the Lord has done for you. That even though things may feel insignificant right now, the Lord will always protect you. The Lord will always provide for you. You can nest in the safety of his branches, in his tree. You can go to him and rest in him and trust that under his rule, 
under the true kingdom of God, you will be able to find true safety, true light, true growth, because the Lord, like a seed, came and he died and he grew a tree of everlasting dominion for our glory, or for his glory and our good. That's the good news that we believe. That's what the kingdom of God is for. That's why Jesus came. And that's what we confess every Sunday morning as we gather together. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear from your word this morning, we trust, Lord, that this seed will grow. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to encourage us to to believe in you, to trust you. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to capture these images in our mind, to treasure them, and to trust in your work in our lives. We can only do this by your help. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us. In Jesus' name.